Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Partly cloudy skies. Welcome to this Tuesday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment, legal analyst Paige Pate examines the appointment of Cobb County District Attorney Joy at Holmes as lead prosecution in the Ahmaud Arbery fatal shooting. The attorney general said, let's take it out of Southeast Georgia. Let's appoint someone who doesn't have those relationships and hopefully get an independent uh, and thorough investigation. That conversation coming up in just a moment. But first, the latest information as it relates to the coronavirus here in Georgia. As of today, there are 34,635 confirmed cases. The number of deaths statewide is reported to be 1,461, and there are 6,130 hospitalized. That's all coming from the Georgia Department of Public Health as of 11.30 a.m. today. In other news, the Atlanta Board of Education voted yesterday to enter into a new contract with a new superintendent for the district. By a vote of 8-1, to Dr. Lisa Herring, the current superintendent of Birmingham, Alabama school system, will become the next APS district chief. Dr. Herring addressed the board following the vote. I also want to be clear to say that I understand that these are times in which many may pause and have curiosity or anxiety around this transition. I want to balance that with some reassurance, not just in my role as a leader, but in my role as one who has had to navigate through difficult times. It is my honor to bring to you steadfast leadership that is focused on helping us transition through and out of the pandemic while keeping always our scholars and our families in mind first. And the one board member to vote no was Nancy Meister, who expressed concerns about making a transition of leadership during this COVID-19 pandemic. Dr. Herring's contract begins July 1st. Meanwhile, it was the opposite for the DeKalb County School Board. By a vote of four yes and seven no, the school board did not approve its sole finalist for the job of superintendent to Rudy Crew. Now, Cruz's selection was controversial. A recent audit found he used state money to buy personal items during his current job as president of Medgar Evers College in Brooklyn, New York. Board members must now select a candidate to serve as interim superintendent starting July 1st of this year. This is Closer Look. You're listening to Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up, we'll learn about a video series that features Emory Healthcare's frontline staff and offers insight into their COVID-19 related daily work. So stay with us. We have a really impactful way that you can get involved with WABE and Meals on Wheels Atlanta. 
Yes, it's our spring member drive, and we're doing it differently with really quick reminders so that we can get you right back to Closer Look. You can help us at 678-553-9090 or online at wabe.org donate. And joining me is our director of radio and television, John Haas. That's wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. We need your financial support right now because it helps pay for Closer Look. But today, we're also partnering with Meals on Wheels Atlanta. They help seniors to maintain their independence in various ways, especially through meals. So your one donation to WABE right now will provide two hot and nutritious meals to a senior. Meals on Wheels Atlanta will even bring a small meal for the senior's pet. Please help by making a donation now at wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. Yeah, it's easy. 678-553-9090. You know, here on WABE, you should expect us to bring context for every headline. That means we go deeper than just the basic facts of the story. We've been reporting on how economic, racial, and cultural inequalities are also amplified during this pandemic. We're investigating impact right here in the Atlanta area. These local stories really matter. You know, the quality of our lives right now really does depend on what we know and holding officials accountable. Contributions from you and other listeners make it happen. 678-553-9090 or online at wabe.org donate. Every day on Closer Look, Rose brings vital news and interviews about the pandemic. We need your donation right now. Many of our listeners typically give $15 a month, but please give what you feel you can afford at wabe.org slash donate or with a call to 678-553-9090. Yes, please call 678-553-9090 or online at wabe.org slash donate. Renew your support or make an additional gift wabe.org or 678-553-9090. And as always, thanks. It only takes a couple minutes to give. If you're already a sustaining member of WABE, please consider giving an additional gift if you can. It'll really help us during these challenging times. You can make your donation by calling 678-553-9090 or go to wabe.org slash donate. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Georgia Attorney General Chris Carr is appointing Cobb County District Attorney Joyette Holmes as lead prosecution in the Ahmaud Arbery fatal shooting case. You know that video surfaced last week of Arbery being shot to death after being pursued by 64-year-old Greg McMichael and his son Travis in a pickup truck. Also last week, the McMichaels were arrested and booked in the Glenn County Jail. Now, there's a statement posted on the Cobb County District Attorney's Facebook page from D.A. Holmes, and it reads, quote, Our office will immediately gather all materials related to the investigation thus far and continue to seek additional information to move this case forward. We appreciate the confidence that Attorney General Carr has in our office's ability to bring to light the justice that this case deserves, close quote. So let's welcome in WABE legal analyst and criminal defense attorney Paige Pate to provide more insight into this latest development. Paige, welcome back. Hello, Rose. Great to be with you. Let's begin here, Paige. A surprise to you that Attorney General Chris Carr makes this appointment? Well, a little bit. I know there was a lot of pressure uh, coming from Mr. Arbery's family and other people to have someone outside of Southeast Georgia appointed to lead the prosecution in the case. 
Uh, the reality is uh, whether or not Tom Durden would have done a good job and he was the district attorney initially, well, not initially, I guess the, the second district attorney appointed uh, after the Brunswick DA recused mm -hmm. herself, he still knows a lot of the people involved uh, with law enforcement and the prosecution here in Southeast Georgia. So the attorney general said, let's take it out of Southeast Georgia. Let's appoint someone who doesn't have those relationships and hopefully get an independent uh, and thorough investigation. Well, Paige, how unusual, or maybe it isn't, that a state attorney general appoints a new prosecution lead for a potential case? Well, that's a great question, and it's important for people to understand district attorneys do not work for the attorney general. So it's not like the attorney general can step in and say, hey, I don't think you're doing a great job. I'm going to take this case away from you. That cannot happen in Georgia. The elected district attorney for each individual circuit has the ultimate authority to decide whether to prosecute, how to prosecute. The reason it happened here is because the DA who would have been assigned to the case, who would have owned the case, Jackie Johnson, um, went ahead and recused herself immediately. And so it became the attorney general's job then to pick the DA who was going to handle it. Initially, it was the Waycross DA. Mm -hmm. uh, he recused himself and I don't think was unbiased to begin with. Then Tom Durden and now the new prosecutor from Cobb County. So can you cite any other scenario, though, where the state attorney general would appoint a special? And we keep saying some people keep saying special prosecutors. It's, it's not really a special prosecutor. It's just he, he's appointing a prosecutor, An right? An outside prosecutor. Yeah. I yeah. mean, maybe that's the best way to say yeah. it. The attorney general only gets that authority if the district attorney recuses himself or herself from the case, mm -hmm. because somebody's got to make the appointment. You know, if, if I'm the district attorney and I think that um, I may be at least considered um, partial in the case, um, I'm going to go ahead and recuse myself, but I shouldn't appoint my successor. And I think that's what happened initially that's drawn so much criticism. The district attorney in Brunswick said, why don't you just send it to my friend up in Waycross whose son works in my office? It, you don't want to do that. So the decision who to put in place of the recused prosecutor goes to the attorney general. But to answer your question, no, um, I, I can't remember a recent time where we've had a prosecutor in a county say, I just can't handle this case because of relationships or it could be considered as impartial. Could the McMichaels raise any concerns or even protest the appointment? Well, I, I guess they could, but mm -hmm. I, I don't think that would be successful because the appointment in this case uh, has appeared to be uh, someone who is not connected here, who, who doesn't uh, have any uh, agenda, as far as we can tell, other than to do the job of prosecuting the case. So uh, you're not entitled to a specific prosecutor. You mm -hmm. are, however, entitled to be tried in the venue where the crime allegedly occurred. So if this prosecutor says, hey, I don't think a case should be tried in Glen County, we're coming up to Cobb, then yes, the McMichaels can have a strong objection to that. And so, Paige, let's go through this process. D.A. Holmes will review what the GBI has gathered so far and or seek new findings as well? Probably. Uh, that's what a good prosecutor would do. You, you will take the case file from the GBI. You will talk to those agents. But the, the job of a prosecutor is to review the work of the investigating officers and decide what, if any, charges to bring. 
this prosecutor will ultimately be responsible for taking the case to the grand jury if you're going to charge someone with murder you have to go to a grand jury in georgia so she will along with her assistants present the case to a grand jury and ultimately either get an indictment or not. And Paige, I want to back up because I actually received an email from a listener who wanted to know, well, I thought the GBI had already charged these gentlemen. If Then why were they arrested? Right. Um, and, and that's another very good point. And I think it's important for people to understand. Law enforcement certainly has a right to arrest someone they suspect has committed a crime if they have sufficient probable cause. Mm-hmm. That can sometimes be done on the scene when the officers show up. In this case, obviously, that didn't happen, but they can go to a superior court judge. They can submit an affidavit and say, Judge, we think there's enough reason here, enough evidence to support charges against these individuals. That judge can then issue an arrest warrant, which is what happened in this case, and that's why they're in jail. But you cannot be formally charged with murder and go to trial unless you've been indicted by a grand jury for murder. So it's a two-step process. Arrest warrants come first. Grand jury comes later. Well, Paige, you hear a lot, and I know there's some things that probably you won't share or cannot share, but a lot of people are focusing on the video. But through your lens, it will probably take more than that and whatever else is in those GBI investigative files for DA Holmes to present those findings to a grand jury. Well, and and actually, Rose, I think maybe even more important than the evidence that's going to be presented is who's going to be on the grand jury. Uh, And the grand jury would have to come, unless there's something done to change this, Mm -hmm. from Glenn County. Uh, And so you may very well have people on that grand jury Uh, not necessarily who know the McMichaels, but who know the community, maybe have heard of the McMichaels. Uh, And while you don't have to have a unanimous grand jury, uh, you do have to have a majority. So um, the evidence will be important, but in in any case like this, um, how you see the evidence is going to be especially important. In something like this, in grand jury proceedings, are they allowed to ask questions to the prosecutor in terms of terminology, manslaughter, involuntary manslaughter, first-degree murder, things like that? Yes. Uh, the grand jury process in Georgia is mostly done in secret. Uh, the person who's being charged and that person's lawyer uh, does not have a right to be in the grand jury with very limited exceptions. If it was a police officer, you do. But in this case, even though he's a retired police officer, he's not one now. So. He has no right to be in the grand jury. But the people on the grand jury have a lot more power than they usually realize. Not only can they question witnesses, they can certainly ask for legal guidance from the the district attorney's office, Mm -hmm. but they can do their own investigation. I mean, if you get someone on the grand jury who knows what he or she is doing, they can subpoena their own witnesses. Uh, They can conduct all sorts of uh, investigations and reviews of evidence that maybe the DA doesn't even want them to do. But if you, if they can be very strong, they have a lot of power under Georgia law. And so, Paige, again, just for clarity, Ahmaud Arbery shooting death took place in Glenn County. If the McMichaels are indicted and there's a trial, it would be in Glenn County, not Cobb County? It starts off in Glenn County. But if they cannot pull a jury here and get a jury qualified who doesn't already have a very strong opinion about the case, 
then they can change venue. Uh, and, and that becomes somewhat difficult because you have to find a venue uh, where you can get uh, an impartial jury. And with a case like this, that may be hard. The interesting thing is Glenn County and Cobb County <laughs> cases several times. Uh, in fact, the most recent uh, case tried down here that, that was a very high profile case was the hot car death case, mm -hmm. the uh, Harris case. Mm -hmm. That was a Cobb County case that came to Glenn. And years back when a Glenn County toddler was killed, very high profile down here, it moved to Cobb County. So. Um, is it possible the case could end up in Cobb County? It is possible. But first, they will try to seat a jury in Glenn County, if at all possible. Back to State Attorney General Chris Carr for a moment. He asked the U.S. Department of Justice to investigate the handling of the Ahmaud Arbery case. Um, and the DOJ so far says they're considering whether or not to charge the McMichaels with federal hate crimes. Paige, in, if indeed that does happen, could those charges come before an indictment is handed up? Yes, they could. Um, you know, the, the federal government and the state government, they have concurrent jurisdiction here. In other words, both uh, prosecutions could take place. Uh, it's unlikely they would happen at the same time, but there's nothing under the law to, to prohibit that. Uh, so if there's a federal prosecution and a state prosecution, then you could see two trials possibly in this case. Mm. Paige, you and I have had so many conversations about Georgia not having a state hate crime law. Now there is movement. There's bipartisan support. Just spoke with the state lawmaker just yesterday. What do you make of the importance of this case and the fact that it could lead to Georgia possibly having a state hate crime law on the books? Well, it, it sounds like it will. Uh, as you'll remember, Rose, there was for, for a brief period of time a hate crimes law on on the books in Georgia, but it was so vague that mm -hmm. the state Supreme Court struck it down because it did not identify, you know, what type of, of prejudice or hate would trigger a prosecution under the statute. But now I think, uh, at least from what we've heard uh, from people in the legislature and the governor's office, uh, there is enough momentum perhaps to get one passed that will stay on the books, uh, that will not be uh, as vague and foggy as the last one was. And Paige, do we know if the McMichaels, they were denied bond, correct? Yes, but that's not at all surprising. When when they made their initial appearance, they saw a magistrate judge who in Georgia does not even have the authority to set a bond for a murder charge. Mm -hmm. So, you know, anyone that knows how the system operates knew that they were not going to get bond at that first appearance. But uh, what they do have a right to do is petition a superior court judge for a bond hearing and I expect that's going to happen very soon, just just as soon as their lawyers are in place. And Paige, finally, we can't forget that we're all in the midst of this pandemic here. So even if D.A. Holmes is ready to present her findings to a grand jury, how do you do that with social distancing guidelines that need to be followed? Yeah, that, that's uh, <laughs> that is something that's unprecedented. Um you can't do a Zoom grandeur. I don't know. Maybe you can do a Zoom grandeur. It's never been done before. Um, but you, you could bring people in and try to maintain social distancing, you know, space them out, uh, just get a large enough room where you can do that. Um, but that's one of the reasons, though, I, I think you may see these uh, individuals, the McMichaels, out on bond uh, fairly soon because the judge is going to look at this case and say, well, 
I don't know how long I would have to keep you locked up before the grand jury can consider your case and render an indictment. There is no right to a speedy indictment under Georgia law. You got a right to a speedy trial, mm -hmm. but that's not triggered until you're indicted. So the judge may be willing to let him out pending a, a grand jury indictment. Page, you're down in Brunswick. I think I asked you earlier in one of our conversations how the tone of the community was. Uh, how would you assess it now? Well, uh, surprisingly calm, really. I, I think the majority of the people in this community um, believe in equal justice, um, are relieved uh, that there was an independent investigation by the GBI. Uh, and so far, uh, you know, it's been relatively calm despite all the media attention on the case. Now, I, I don't know if that's going to change. I mean, we've had protests literally uh, right across the street from my office, which mm -hmm. is where the courthouse is, but they've been peaceful. Um, and so far, we've really um, not had any significant um, controversy where we've seen two sides arguing about the issue. Right now, everyone seems to be um, relaxed and confident that the case is moving forward with an independent investigation. WABE legal analyst and criminal defense attorney Paige Pate. As always, Paige, I appreciate you taking the time. Stay safe down Thank here. Thank you, Rose. Absolutely. Appreciate it. This is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott, and thank you for listening. We'll get back to the program in just a moment. All the reporting you've heard on this program about the coronavirus has been made possible by listeners like you who've donated during an earlier member drive. This one is different. To keep this kind of fact-based, informative coverage possible, we're asking you to give now. But we're keeping this reminder short and to the point because we want to get you right back to Closer Look. 678-553-9090 or online at wabe.org slash donate. That's wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. Your donation helps us bring you the latest news about coronavirus, the 2020 elections, and also the arts and culture coverage you've come to expect. But here's another great reason to give. Today, we're partnering with Meals on Wheels Atlanta. They help seniors to maintain their independence in various ways, especially through meals. So your one donation today to WABE will provide two hot and nutritious meals to a senior. 678-553-9090. You know, John, we've covered public health guidance, access, restrictions, school closings, jobs, unemployment, economic consequences, and impacts on election, and of course, the census. We've brought you one-on-one -on -one interviews in order to keep you, the listener, informed. Georgia mayors, the CEO of MARTA, the Georgia Labor Commissioner, and CDC officials. None of this would have been possible without the past support of listeners like you and the ongoing support of WABE sustainers. Help us keep you informed. And today, it's Meals on Wheels Atlanta at 678-553-9090 or online at wabe.org slash donate. We need your donation because so much of our funding, 84%, comes from the Atlanta community. Many of our listeners give $15 a month, but please donate what you feel you can afford at wabe.org slash donate or with a call to 678-553-9090. So please give us a call, 678-553-9090 or online at wabe.org slash donate. Sustainers are especially impactful right now. 
Upgrading your monthly sustainer amount by a dollar or two or maybe five dollars. It's really easy at wabe.org slash sustainer or call 678-553-9090. And as always, thank you. Fifteen dollars a month is ideal, but please give what you can afford. Just go to wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. And thanks. Coming up on tomorrow's Closer Look, Gwinnett County Schools had an initial plan to have educators and some support staff report to buildings. Why? According to district officials, to allow educators to pack up materials and officially close out this school year. But that plan was met with backlash. Now the district has a new plan for closing out the school year and planning for the fall. Here's a preview of the conversation with Dr. Steve Flint, Gwinnett Associate Superintendent for School Improvement and operations. So Dr. Flint, let's talk about the new plan. So teachers will not be returning to school as scheduled on May 18th. And what revisions have you all made now? Right. Well, we did get some good feedback from, from teachers and support staff. Uh, what we're doing is, uh, is really having a rotating plan. Our, our teachers and many of the support staff are going to be continuing to work from home, uh, but they will have available times this week and next week uh, to come in and close out their classrooms. Uh, we're providing opportunities for students uh, to pick up needed materials. Uh, at the end of the uh, at the end of next week, we're going to be providing information um, on grades and on uh, a student's ability to continue uh, working uh, over the summer, uh, it, whether it's a required or optional summer school program. Um, and then the schedules for starting back the school year and and I thought you uh, you said that very well in that uh, at this time things do keep changing pretty frequently as far as the guidance that we're hearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we do have a, a clear plan uh, for opening back up. Even though we have a plan, you know, that is going to probably be adjusted uh, based on information that we continue to get from public health, from CDC, as well as the numbers uh, of COVID-19 across the county and state. That conversation on the next Closer Look. We're back in a moment. And you are listening to Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. A big thank you to listeners who donated to our spring member drive. We're spending less time on reminders because getting you right back to Closer Look is so important. We're making some good progress during this member drive, but we still need your donation, especially now because we're partnering with Meals on Wheels Atlanta. 678-553-9090 or online at wabe.org slash donate. And joining me is our director of radio and television, John Haas. Call 678-553-9090 or go to wabe.org slash donate. Your financial support right now will help WABE continue its excellent programming. Programs like Closer Look. And you'll also support Meals on Wheels Atlanta because we're partnering with them today to help seniors maintain their independence. One donation to WABE right now will provide two hot and nutritious meals to a senior. So please give at wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. WABE.org slash donate, or just call 678-553-9090. You know, we've all been affected by the coronavirus, just like the rest of the world. But we must push on, because free and open access to accurate information is so crucial right now. 
Our small but mighty team of reporters are working as safely as they can to bring you the information to stay safe. And here on Closer Look, there are no guests in the studio like we're used to, so they're all via the virtual world. And we're asking you for your help today at 678-553-9090 or online at wabe.org slash donate. You know how much you can give, but if you're able to make a contribution of $1,200 or more, you'll become a Cornerstone member. Your generosity will allow us to deliver great programming and will continue to be a trusted partner and source of information. So please, if you're able to, give at the Cornerstone level at wabe.org slash donate or Call 678-553-9090. Thanks. So, yes, please call 678-553-9090 or online at wabe.org slash donate. It only takes a couple minutes to give, and if you can't commit to a monthly sustaining gift, consider a one-time gift of $50, $100, or 365 You know what you can afford, but the key is right now we need you. So please, play a part at wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. Yes, Atlanta, you're really showing up and showing out. We're receiving such great support. I can't thank you enough. And listen, whatever level works for you, even giving a few dollars a month is really important for WABE. Give what you can. This is all about a collective effort. 678-553-9090 or online, wabe.org slash donate. Closer Look continues now. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Now here on 90.1 WABE, this is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. You may notice there's something different in a lot of the advertisements we've been hearing and seeing of late. Yes, there's still the nudge to sell a product or service, but there's also been this wave of marketing and advertising campaigns praising and honoring those working on what we call the front lines of this COVID-19 pandemic. And then there's also something new from Emory Healthcare. Take a listen. The biggest worry I have is it can be anyone. It can be any one of us. This disease does not discriminate. When we're seeing these patients, you know, one second, they could be the most stable patient. We're thinking we're going to get them home in the next day. But the acute change of events is the most scary things that are happening with these patients. I've had patients who are 35-year-old former nurses, have COVID, very severe respiratory symptoms, all the way up to age 92. I had a 92-year-old last week or two weeks ago that actually got discharged from the hospital after beating COVID. But the reality is we're all still learning, navigating, and reacting to this disease process. That's the voice of Dr. Duval Desai, Director of Hospital Medicine at Emory St. Joseph's Hospital. You'll hear from him in just a moment. And I'm also joined by Amy Como, Vice President of Marketing Strategy and Support at Emory Healthcare. And we're going to learn a lot more about this new series. Thank you both for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having Our me. Our pleasure. 
Dr. Desai, let me start with you. In all your years, I know you've been in medicine. Have you ever experienced anything like this with this COVID-19 pandemic? And what do you make of it? You know, Rose, this is the first time that I've experienced such a pandemic. In training, we really have never been trained on pandemics as well. And we never really faced this. This is the first time I've dealt with this. And hopefully it will be the last time. It may not. It has completely changed our day-to-day operations and our day-to-day vision of how we are reacting and treating patients. And it has been a huge learning curve and opportunity for all of us. Let me stay with you for a moment. Take our listeners through a typical day and how that has changed for you now, as opposed to before all of this happened. So, sure. As a hospitalist, we're trained to treat acute conditions, patients who are admitted to the hospital with an acute condition, an acute change of their chronic condition, some type of new process. They're admitted to the hospital and cannot be managed at home. We are well trained to treat these situations, and over time, we get very accustomed to treating these situations, treating these clinical conditions, collaborating with other physicians. With the COVID pandemic, this has completely changed our day-to-day operations. So being hospitalists, we like to keep the patients at the center of our focus, and that certainly has not changed. You know, from a day-to-day standpoint, when I walk into the hospital, historically, I really take value in the patient and family-centered care approach to care. We rely on our family members and our patients to be there together advocating for themselves. And first and foremost, we don't have that at the current time in the hospital since we're so strict with visitations to avoid any further exposures in the hospital. Mm -hmm. That in itself is is a separate issue that we're dealing with right now and navigating. And obviously day to day as we're working through COVID patients, we do have COVID patients who are isolated on certain units and we've established protocols for appropriate sanitation, appropriate protective gear for those units for our healthcare providers, all of which we did not have before. So we really restructured how we operate day to day and see these patients to keep ourselves and the patients as safe, safely cared for as possible. Dr. Dusag, have you lost patients due to this? You know, I don't comment specifically on patients on my from my standpoint at this standpoint in terms of what I've cared for. What I can tell you is that I've seen such a wide variety of patients who are been affected by this in all age groups. And I've seen patients who have little to no comorbidities or chronic disease conditions be affected to those who have several chronic conditions also been affected. Some have done well and some have struggled. Has this taken a toll on you mentally? Thank you. Yeah. So the last two months have been very stressful. I am only a fraction of the healthcare piece puzzle, and there are many people who are day-to-day involved in taking care of these patients. One thing I am concerned about is the well-being and mental health of our healthcare providers and all of our healthcare team. Currently and over the last two months as we've navigated this crisis, we've really been in an acute mode where our adrenaline is peaking. As that adrenaline starts to wane and we establish a new normal, I really feel that we need to recognize and be aware of wellness for our healthcare providers. For me, it's been stressful. I've lost sleep at night. As the leader of my group, I wanna protect my team. I'm constantly trying to communicate with them, react to changes and make sure we're all on the same page, keeping in mind that everything is constantly evolving. So I am very concerned about overall well-being and mental health of our healthcare team. 
Previous to COVID, there was a lot of talk about burnout among healthcare professionals. Mm -hmm. And I personally feel that that is going to only get worse as we navigate this crisis, unless we recognize and be aware that this is happening in real time right now. Amy, let me bring you to the conversation. You just heard what Dr. Dusai described. You hearing this a lot from those on the front lines throughout the Emory healthcare system? Yeah, Rose, it's a, it's a great point and one that Dr. Desai mentions. I mean, he's he and his team are closest to it, but we we know, those of us that support on the back line, so to speak, um, the emotional toll that it's taking on all healthcare workers. Um, and so, in a way, we wanted to, this video series is a way for us to help show that to the general public, what we've been seeing and hearing about on a daily basis. So, so definitely something that you know, we're aware of and, and share the same concern as, as Dr. Desai. Is that where the idea came to launch this video series? It actually came out of, of two things, really. One was as we were talking around messaging that needed to be out there, as we knew the shelter-in-place order was coming to a close, and as many of us, ourselves included, are, are spending a, a lot more time um, in our homes, and, and it's natural for people to start to get a little stir crazy, we were worried that people would just suddenly stop following proper social distancing. Mm -hmm. And so we thought, how can we figure out a way to help get the message out there that this virus is real and it's having a real impact on people we, you know, people we know, people in the community, as well as our healthcare providers. And so that was really the genesis for, for the series. If you're just joining us, I'm joined by Amy Como, Vice President of Marketing Strategy and Support at Emory Healthcare, featuring the experiences of frontline staff during the COVID-19 pandemic. And I'm also joined by Dr. Deval Desai, Director of Hospital Medicine at Emory St. Joseph's Hospital. And it's a new video series from Emory Healthcare. Dr. Desai, let me come back to you for a moment. Um, when you were approached sure. to share your story, what were your initial thoughts? You know, my initial thoughts were, and feeling empowered. The going through this crisis has been intense, but also empowering for our entire healthcare team. There's no other time than right now to showcase the strength of all of our healthcare workers. And I'm honestly felt very proud to represent the Emory healthcare team, specifically the team at Emory St. Joseph's who has put and continue to put so much effort and strength into this crisis. After you were able to share a story, was there a little bit of a cathartic feeling came over you that this was helpful? And particularly in everything that we just talked about a few moments ago in terms of the, the toll, the physical and mental toll. Certainly, certainly. You know, I think first and foremost, talking about what we're going through is key. We as healthcare providers and most people experiencing crisis, they don't get a chance to talk about that. For me, using this platform on a video series to talk about it and get this message out was very powerful. And then also, you know, related to your point you just mentioned, Rose, about talking about it for our physicians and the well-being of our groups, I have started weekly wellness sessions for our physicians to really talk about and experience that catharsis as we're going through this. Because at the end of the day, we are all human beings and going through this is really about the human experience. Amy, now we're all in a social distancing state of mind these days. So the, the video does give a behind the scenes feel, but you all also had to adhere by those guidelines. Was it difficult to get some of this shot? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. In order to shoot these, we wanted to make sure that the, the producer and the interviewer were also following proper social distancing. So as they went in and to the hospitals where they were shooting these, 
they made sure that they were, I think, at least 10 feet away um, from the interview subject, and in some cases, I think even more, making sure that they were properly masked. And, and because of that, the, the videos almost have um, an extra behind-the-scenes look to them. Right. So if you watch any of them, sometimes you'll see the microphone, you'll see, you know, whether it's Dr. Desai or one of our, our nurses as they approach and sit the sit down in the chair, you're capturing that. So it's not the typical interview that you normally see where you see the interviewer up close talking with the interviewee. It's not like 60 Minutes. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, not at all. You know, I have Mike Wallace interrogating you. No, I'm just kidding. I love Mike Wallace. He was a wonderful journalist, one of my heroes. Amy, I'm curious, were there some folks who just couldn't get, make it through a shooting that was too emotional for them to, to continue? Yeah, so we've shot a lot of these videos, and what you end up seeing it produced is a, is a one- to two-minute video. Mm-hmm. But for some, telling their stories around either patients that they, that they did lose or families that they were connected with, there's a, you know, there are a few have a moment where you know, they need to take a pause and um, really think about, collect their thoughts. Um, and in some cases, we've actually captured that, and they, those providers have been generous enough for us to actually share that those moments in, in the videos because it really does bring a true face to this crisis and let people know that it is real and it and we need to be uh, continue to be concerned about it. Here's a question for both of you, and, and Dr. Desai, I'll start with you. We can't make people have a certain emotion or feeling about something like this, but what do you hope people do take away from this video series? You know, it's a great question, Rose. I do hope people take away that the importance of social distancing and continuing to flatten the curve that we talk about is very important. We want to protect our healthcare personnel. We really want to keep the hospital as open without constraints as possible and keep everybody as well as possible. And with this series, I'm hoping people recognize that health really starts at home and health being the well-being and being free from illness. It should not happen in the hospital. It needs to happen at home. So if we can all continue to evolve ourselves into this new normal that we're facing and adhere to guidelines and recommendations, I think we'd ultimately benefit everyone. And I hope that message can get out clearly with our video series. Hmm. Amy, what about you? I, I couldn't agree more. You know, every day um, our teams approach their work with the hope to improve lives and provide hope. And this is one way for us to be able to do that. And we want people to, to know that these are the things we, we need them to, and we all need to continue to do to make sure that we continue to flatten the curve. You know, as Dr. Desai said, it's the proper hand washing, making sure to mask when in public. There's a phrase we like to use. It's called, my mask protects you, your mask protects me. Mm-hmm. And we really do want to see that when you're in the grocery stores, that, that those are important things that we all can do to contribute to flattening the curve. And Amy, for our listeners, where can they view the videos? So the videos are available on Emory Healthcare's social media outlets. So our Facebook page, LinkedIn, Instagram, and we're also pushing them out via Twitter. They're also available on Emory Healthcare's YouTube channel. Um, and additionally, I have to sh- share this fact. It, we've actually had some requests from news outlets across the country to share these. Mm. So they are being shared with over 60 different news outlets across the country from Seattle to Dallas to D.C. to even here in Atlanta. 
And so each one of those outlets, those, these videos are getting an exposure of a, a reach of almost 50 million per market that they're in. So <laughs> the, if you're not if you're not on social media, you're likely also being exposed to them through your local news channels. And Amy, how long will y'all keep producing these videos? So we've published five or six to date. The team actually shot about 30. So we're going to continue to push out videos over the course of the next several weeks, every few days, so that people can hear more stories from our front line. And finally, Dr. Desai, as we wrap up, it may only be a two or three minute video, but what do you want folks to know what this has meant for you personally? Personally, it has meant something very real to me, something I've had to learn and adapt myself to, something that has gotten me out of my comfort zone. And I hope the video represents that and reflects the reality that all of us healthcare professionals are facing. As I've said to my team when we acknowledge our stress, you don't know how stressful and intense the situation is until you walk into a room and treating a patient with COVID with the compassion and clinical care and expertise that you're providing. Dr. Duvall Desai, Director of Hospital Medicine at Emory St. Joseph's Hospital. I was also joined by Amy Como, Vice President of Marketing Strategy and Support at Emory Healthcare. Dr. Desai, first of all, thank you for what you and your team have been continuing to do with so many others across the nation. Thank you for doing that. And Amy, thank you all for providing these videos for, for folks. I'm sure they really enjoy it. And thank you both for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Rose. Our pleasure. That's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Shelley Canavy. If you missed any of today's program, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, you can listen to Closer Look weeknights at 8 p.m. And listen whenever you want, because Closer Look is now available as a podcast. Just visit NPR One or your favorite streaming app and subscribe. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. You are listening to Closer Look, and I'm Rose Scott. We'll continue with the program in just a moment. We don't want to take too much time away from our coverage of what's taking place in this extraordinary time, so we'll be brief. Today, we're partnering with Meals on Wheels Atlanta as part of our spring member drive. And joining me is our director of radio and television, John Haas, to tell you how you can join in with the effort. WABE.org slash donate or 678-553-9090. Your donation right now will help us pay for what it takes to keep critical information coming to you at such a critical time. Today, we're also fundraising with our community partner, Meals on Wheels Atlanta, to help seniors maintain their independence. Your one donation to WABE right now will provide two hot and nutritious meals to a senior. Please give at wabe.org donate or call 678-553-9090. 678-553-9090 or online wabe.org donate. Our staff has been working remotely with no stoppage from our usual daily news grind. It's because we need to do it and we want to do it to keep you informed. We will stay on the air and online as long as it takes to provide you, the listener, not only the latest headlines, but trustworthy content to help you in making critical decisions regarding you, and your family's well-being. Your donation right now will help us to continue to do just that. WABE.org slash donate 
or 678-553-9090. It's important that we hear from folks like you because 84% of our funding comes from the Atlanta community. Many of our listeners typically give $15 a month, but please give what you feel you can afford at wabe.org slash donate or with a call to 678-553-9090. We need you. It's an easy number, 678-553-9090 or online, wabe.org slash donate. If you're already giving as a sustainer, we're talking to you, too. Get in on this partnership with Meals on Wheels Atlanta. Upgrade your monthly sustainer amount by a dollar or two or maybe even five dollars. Every dollar makes a difference. But you must do so at a specific web address. And I keep saying it, but I'll say it again. WABE.org slash sustainer. Again, those details at WABE.org slash sustainer or 678-553-9090. And as always, thank you. If you're already a sustaining member of WABE, please consider giving an additional gift if possible. You know what you can afford, so please play your part at wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. From WABE Studios, the podcast where they read stories is a new children's storytelling podcast featuring notable Atlantans and performers reading classic and contemporary children's books. Each episode contains a story meant to entertain, inspire, and inform young listeners. No screens required. The podcast where they read stories features adaptations from both chapter books and picture books. Join us at wabe.org slash stories podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. W-A-B-E. Hey, y'all. I'm Mark Kendall. And I'm David Perdue. And we're the hosts of What's Good Atlanta, the new weekly comedy podcast from WABE. On What's Good Atlanta, we run down uplifting and unusual headlines from the universe known as Atlanta. And while we may not be journalists, we are comedians, and we'll be breaking down news and breaking down the stories that make you smile. We're just trying to see what's good, Atlanta. Episodes drop Fridays at WABE.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I get mine from a guy named Craig. Shout out to Craig. Mm -hmm. (laughs) W-A-B-E.